This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined in studio once again but with Jim Sebastio, my dear friend. Jim, good to see you. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you again. So we are going to be tackling a, a topic that Jim's going to introduce in a minute. But before we do that, just a couple of quick things. One is if if this podcast episode has been helpful to you, would you go to iTunes and write a review for us? And also, if the ministry's just been helpful to you, Practical Shepherding, to go to practicalshepherding.com and to go to the donate button and help us financially because we have a lot, a lot of exciting things happening as we're uh, expanding the ministry, translation works, all kinds of different opportunities. So thanks for your help in any way you can can help us with that. Brian, can I mention as well that yep. if there's a topic you'd like us to deal with, uh, to drop Brian uh, a note there through Practical Shepherding, Obviously, if this isn't helpful, we need to know that too. Yeah, and you we, can send this can in, be... send that in an email, not in the review of iTunes. But no, just kidding. You can do whatever you need to do. But right. but yeah, but send an email. Uh, Brian at practicalshepherding dot com goes directly to me, and feel free to write. You can also reach through Facebook, and there's a contact page through the website. So yeah, we'd love to get your uh, any questions you want us to to deal with or topics. We'd love to hear from you on that. So Jim, what's our topic going to be today? Well, Brian, we're going to talk about the differences and uh, blessings and disadvantages of either being involved in a revitalization and maybe even what some have called, maybe we'll even touch on this a little bit, a reboot. Have you heard that? Replant. Or replant. replant is what I've, Nam, I've even heard. Is what Nam calls it. Replant. Okay, so yeah. replant. Replant, revitalization versus a plant just starting from scratch. There's... You're building up from the from ground zero versus coming into a situation that's maybe been around for many years and uh, trying to to direct it in the way that it should go. Yeah. So Brian, we we're kind of come at this from two different practical perspectives right. in, as far as life experience. Right. You were a revitalizer. So I I came into a. a a typical dead dying Southern Baptist church. Thirty elderly folks building was paid for, but falling down around us, and uh, no how money. How long had there been an Auburndale Baptist church? About seventy five years when I had got there. And how many? How there. many pastors had been there? Well, there was one that stayed twenty years and built the church as one of the biggest churches in the city in the fifties and sixties. And then from 1972 on, no pastor had stayed longer than four years. When I got there in 2003, and it was on its last leg when I got there. So it was a it was the classic dead dying church in this in Southern Baptist Church that was about to close in about two or three years if nothing changed. So what made you what were the what was your intentionality in, in going into that situation? Uh, why did you take you were a young man, it's your first real pastorate, right? As far as first senior pastorate. First right. senior yep. pastorate. Why did Brian Croft say that's what he wanted to do? Before we go there, Jim, let me just set a biblical framework first okay, what we're talking yes, about. Sir. So Jim's right. We, we're, we've got two different works we're talking about. But biblically, it has the same paradigm. We want to achieve the same thing, and that is a healthy, vibrant church. The, one of the best texts, I think, that applies both to a plant and revitalization is Titus chapter 2. It's where Paul is writing to Titus to establish to establish churches in Crete. And so he walks through Titus 1, 2, and mm -hmm. 3, and he says, set the leaders up. These are the pastors. This is what they're supposed to do in chapter 1, and here's who they're supposed to guard against. And then chapter 2 goes into what the church should look like. And the church, he describes, he goes through individually and says, 
Younger men, older men do this. Younger women do this. Older women do this. Slaves and masters do this. So he covers the gamut of male, female, age, race, and, and, and issues even and socioeconomic issues around uh, master slave issues in the in the first century there. So he covers it all. He assumes they're all in the same church mm. or in, in one church with a group of pastors. So whether it's a plant, whether it's a revitalization, the goal is biblically from Titus 2 says to us that our goal is to have a multi-generational, multi-ethnic local church. Mm. So whether it's a plant or whether it's a revitalization, so that's the framework we're talking about. So Jim and I are going to talk about the different areas here between planting and revitalization, but keep that in your mind. Titus 2 captures what both these churches should ultimately look like at some point. Right. So really, the thing that binds what we're going to say together is the end product, or uh, we really call it the end product. That's right. Neither of us are going to see the full end product that comes when right. Lord Jesus returns. Right. But both of us, so whether you're planting or revitalizing, ultimately, you've got the same goal. And at some point, the two tracks meet, or they should meet. Yep. Um, so a typical but, revitalization usually is predominantly elderly folks, kind of the last faithful ones that have stayed in that church. Planting starts from the very beginning, or at least there's a small group of people that maybe come from another church to go with a planter, and they go plant a church somewhere. Right. But the, the goal is, I've often said, is hopefully within 10 years, both those churches have old people and young people. Right. Both those churches have black and white. I mean, but so there, you want the diversity to eventually become there, but it takes. But there's different approaches and different things you have to do. The and that's what really what we're trying to talk about here is the different situations to get there. Okay. So let me ask you, brother, uh, because you did a revitalization. I essentially was involved in a plant, and I have my reasons for thinking that's a great way to start right and and you probably would agree with me that is a great way to start you had a lot of deficits you had a lot more deficits i had certain deficits with you have deficits with a plant yeah what were the deficits you had to deal with and how did you address them how did you determine to prioritize what you were going to do in a revitalization the deficits are um a a negative reputation of the church. So you're starting in the okay. hole already in the neighborhood. So the church had done a number on the uh, people in the neighborhood through the years. So I remember the first years I'd walk the neighborhoods, knock on doors just to meet people. And I would meet people who had been terribly hurt by this church and realizing, okay, I'm not starting from ground zero here. I, I'm starting with in a hole. Can I ask, did you think about changing the name of the church? I didn't just because I, I love... I love history, one, so good or bad, I wanted to keep the history and try to redeem it. Okay. Two, I personally think that that really does nothing. All right. Unless it's, I think there are certain exceptions to that rule. Right. Um, and and I really do want to acknowledge that as a whole, I don't think that does what a lot of people think it's going to mm-hmm. do. Um, it's, anyway, so I, I don't, we didn't worry about changing the name, but so we're starting with a bad reputation. We're starting in a big financial hole. There's no money. Um I'm starting with a bunch of folks, though they have the older folks and hanging around and hanging around, and were were willing to stick it out. Um, it's they were all tired, they were all physically struggling, so they could not do a lot of the work that needed to be done to even kind of get going again. So there was a there was all kinds of deficits, and then you've got then you've got the baggage that comes with pastors coming and going uh, for 
decades in the church. And with those pastors coming and going, wounded sheep just remained there, which created this distrust of the pastoral office. And I walk into that at 29 years old. Mm. So there's a lot of deficits, which is typical in a church revitalization. That is the downside to it for sure. And Brian, what about... um what about doctrinal deficits and relational deficits that were there? Yeah. And what I mean by that is, what had they been taught? Uh, how different was the theology of the various pastors? Uh, how to get them on board as far as even what a church is? What's the gospel? What's the Christian life? What's conversion? Did you have to try to deal with those real basic kind of things, or did you feel like, uh, no, they should have already been established in that, and we can. I don't have to rebuild there. Did you feel you needed to rebuild on that most fundamental level? I had to rebuild on a fundamental level, and it's important to know that if you're listening to this, you've walked into revitalization, and you're six months or 12 months in, and you're thinking, what did I get myself into, which a lot of guys think at that point. It's because you're, you're potentially having to undo a lot of things that killed the church. So when a church is do- about to die, there's usually specific reasons why that church is about to die. And a lot of times it's ba- it's rooted in division and relationships that have gone bad. And it's rooted in a, a, a doctrinal confusion and a lack of preaching the Bible if we certainly believe that that's what builds the church. Brian, did you have to deal with looking at this membership and trying to determine who here is really a sheep who here is, you know, they're already members, maybe they're on staff or maybe they're deacons or whatever, and yet you look at them and you talk to them and you realize they don't even know the gospel. Yeah. They, 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 they bear no evidence of new life in Christ. Did you have to deal with even that issue? Yeah, that's, oh, s- sure. I mean, that's, and that's really common in these situations. You're, again, you're coming in, there are multiple reasons why a church dies or is dying or is struggling. Right. And you're coming in and pastors have done damage. You, you're coming in, you've got wounded sheep then who have, have kind of at a leadership vacuum, have had to take leadership who shouldn't have. And you're coming in and then trying to figure out how, what, how to assess what to, how to man, maneuver through all this, where to start. And that's why this becomes pretty overwhelming. In fact, as we're having this conversation, I, I'm hearing myself talk and think, I don't think I'm convincing anybody they should go into revitalization. In fact, I was they should say, plan. Brother, what is it about a man that makes you 29 years old and you say, yep, I'm going to, this is what I want to take on. So I don't think you were ever kicked in the head. I can't remember if you fell down the stairs as a child. But you know I'm a glutton for punishment. Right, you know me long enough for that. Because right, so. you were in martial arts and <laughs> you right. like being hit. like being hit in the head. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's as I'm working with students thinking about doing this in the seminary, as I'm talking with pastors who go into revitalizations, this is such a noble work to salvage a church and its resources and its witness. And it's a lot of times... a a prime location in a neighborhood to be able to do good gospel sure. ministry. So there are tons of good reasons to go and do this, to see a church salvaged uh, for, for the gospel, and that becomes a gospel light in a community in a place that was lost. I mean, it's it's some of the most noble work I feel like I ever get to be a part of. All right, of. so let me ask you two quick questions. All right. uh, you know, I, the questions are quick. The answers probably not going to be right. quick. So the first one is, how do you prioritize, and then how do you persevere? So how do you prioritize? So it's like going into a house. You, you bought a house that was falling down. Every room in the house needs work. You yeah. know, there's holes in every wall. All the flooring needs to come up. Everything needs to be painted. 
obviously you can't do it all at once and you don't just, you know, want to like, well, I'll paint one wall in one room and one wall in another room. And then, you know, what room do you say that's the first room that needs to get done or the first two or three things and, and I'll get to this other stuff. It all matters. It's all important. What the church is, church discipline, leadership structure, eldership, all of that stuff you want to get to. What's first? What's one, two, three? And how do you determine that? Yeah, and I'll be this. I'll be brief with this because we could go on with this, and I want to get to the planting side. But the I get asked this all the time. You go in and you preach the word. If the word's what builds the church and gives life back to the church, you go in and preach your heart out. You go in and sacrificially love those people and get to know them, be in their homes, spend time with them, hear from them what's happened at the church, and don't change anything significant for a while. And that's really the, the formula to go in. You've got to win the trust of these people who distrust the pastoral office already. You have to win them back. So you to didn't that. get rid of the puppet show the I first did not. Sunday you were there. No, well, fortunately that had already died with a lot of other things. But yeah, <laughs> okay. I didn't. But you go in and you just preach and love people and get to know them and try to win their trust. You have to do that before you talk about any of their blueprint. The way you persevere through that is you have to have your identity in Christ. You have to know. Uh, that these people don't determine your value, Jesus does. Mm. And that's a really important side to survive longer than 18 months, which a lot of guys struggle to do. Because you had a lot of backlash. And a lot of backlash, three different efforts to get me fired in, in five in the first five years. So you have to do that. The other thing I would say in persevering is you have to be incredibly, try to be winsome and wise and in discerning, in knowing when to fight and when to love people. Mm. Um, if you, or if, love people by fighting. Or love people by fighting or right. fighting people by love. Yeah, right, know. right, right. All that, but but, that's not necessarily. In other words, you have to go in and and you have to ask God for a discernment to say, I really want to fight this person right now. I think I just need to love yeah. them. Yeah, and right. that's the key to to the to right. perseverance. So, that is not be so confrontational right now. That's let right. It, let it go. So I want, okay. to, I want to turn to the planning side of this because... What I just did, what I just regurgitated, does not sound appealing to somebody, which is why this is a calling to go into a church and do that work. But so is planting. There's tons yeah. of hard stuff. About what's yeah, both of them? Right. So there's a book. Church planting's not for wimps, I think. Right. Well, church church planting is for wimps. Is actually. Oh, the is name. that? Oh, it is for. Wimps. It's McKinley's. Church planting is for wimps because My he's arguing apologies, church. Mr. McKinley. Church But hey, planting's hard too. What? What's? What are some of the challenges, Jim? But he meant that through? ironically, right? That's As he does most things, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. But, all right. So uh, plenty. What what's what are some of the, the harder, challenging things about... You don't have all this baggage I just articulated, but what's the planting side of that that's hard? Well, right. I mean, obviously the fact that you are starting fresh and there's nothing there. I mean, it's one thing to go in and say, all right, hey, this is where the foundations were and these are the walls... And these are these walls are already standing, and they need to be repropped up or painted, or, or it's nothing to go in, and there's just nothing there. And so, you know, that was our situation. Basically, is you know, I mean, even like justifying your existence. Why should there be a church here? Why not just be part of another church? Yeah. What is it about you? And of course, I you know to tell that story from my perspective means going back in the time machine. To Louisville, 1989-1990, right, which is before the not just the conservative but the reformed resurgence, where Louisville was bearing the marks of decades of liberalism in the two seminaries, 
the Presbyterian Seminary and the Southern and, Baptist yep. Seminary. So I often, my joke is, I was here in four BA. That's four years before <laughs> well, Al. Before right. Al Moeller came. You're the only person I know who can say that and, in, uh, in so a church. I was here. pastoring and trying to pastor a church with reform leanings, and now it's like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, diamond dozen, but boy, so I'm the OG <laughs> man. I'm the, I'm the original. You are. You can claim uh, that. So That's I'm true. the old man. I'm the old man now in Louisville, uh, having been doing this for decades. But I've seen the seed change. So we might have had a more justifiable reason to say there weren't churches that were preaching consecutive expository uh, ministries. There weren't churches that had elderships. There weren't churches that had a high view of the church. There weren't churches that had church discipline. It just didn't exist. They weren't here. Uh, and so we came in, and, and of course, I mean, you're almost viewed as a cult for wanting to do that. But what we came in, and because you know we are uh, a, a confessional church, with you know doctrinal roots as far as what initially drew people together it was we hold these truths we hold these truths we believe these things about god and salvation Hmm. in the scriptures but when you're going to plant a church you have to know you have to begin with what is a church and so you know you say that to some people and they're it's it's funny they don't actually have a real real answer you can't assume that that's vague yeah it's like saying Hey, we're going to build a birdhouse, and, and and let's get going on it. Well, what are the dimensions? Mm-hmm. What yeah. what's it going to look like? How you know, or build a house? Well, you mean a colonial? Do you mean a ranch? Do you mean a mansion? Those are all houses, but they look different. So, what is a church? And so mm. that was one of the fundamental things I felt I needed to do. So I needed to delay for these people that started to meet together a, a, a doctrinal foundation, which meant a long period of study of systematic theology, which was going through our confession of faith in an adult Sunday school class. And then I preached 40 messages, Brian. 40. What is a church? 40. So what is the identity of the church? Uh, what, uh, what about the membership of the church? the leadership of the church, and the task of the church. So where did you meet when you first started? And you made this lavish salary in the beginning too, right? Tell me about some of those beginning stages. All right, yeah. So I was, yes, lavishly. No, I I was, because everybody's got their ears perked. Church planning is the way to go. That's right. Uh, So our church took in $9,000 the first year uh, I I was here, and I got very little of that. And you met where? Uh, We met, first time I came, we met in someone's home. Okay. And then we began to meet in the uh, Holiday Inn, which is no longer in existence. It was near the airport. It's been bought by one of the local universities. And then we met in a school, a, um, a business college. And uh, they weren't open on Sunday. I used to be their janitor. And so I used to clean that building and think, boy, this would be a great place to meet. And we actually met there for four years. And then we were able, in God's grace, uh, to purchase the land that we're now on and and slowly build what we now have. So we need to recognize, as we're talking about this, like, what was, Jim, what was it like to have to like set up every week for church and pack all your stuff up and yeah, was I that mean, was that a burden or was that no big part deal? Part of it was fun. Okay. I mean, part of it you get a little tired of. Uh, at the Holiday Inn, it got to be difficult because sometimes they they weren't always ready for us or some, you know they're vacuuming or you know people are opening and closing the door. You know, looking to see what's what's that crazy noise going on in there. Yeah. Uh, and so you did, and it's in some sense as long to have an identity. 
uh, in the community, like it or not, you know, people do expect in our culture that there's a building out there that that you get identified with. Now we say all the time, church is not a building, and it's not a building, but it is where you meet. And you know, just like that, your home is not your family, but your family does live there, and it's nice to have. Right. Um, and so to have some identifiable mark out there, you know, like we couldn't put a sign out that told this is before the internet. Hmm. And so we had to use things like semaphore and smoke signals. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, we had to do some way to let people know. So we did things. Because <laughs> there's the no space. internet. We're right. trying to imagine what the life without yeah. the internet. So yeah. how did you let people know that there was a, a reform Did you Baptist drive a church? van around with the sign on it? People came. And <laughs> yeah, that and then underneath had pizza. You know, that's, <laughs> that's right. something that we, yeah, we were uh, so, getting two things done with both. So. Let, me, let me ask you this. Jim, the I, I articulate some of the the challenges I had in the first five years that were pretty obvious. But for, think first five years for you as a planter. What were some of the challenging things that you dealt with during that time, the early stages of trying to birth this church? Well, the challenge was, I mean, that there's no people. I mean, nobody's nobody's really there's, there's nobody interested in in what they initially were hearing, particularly in light of the way things were going. I mean, you say reform theology. 30 years in ago. In 1990. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. like, you know, we said I was reformed before reform was cool. That's true. You know, yeah. and so in my days, I've jokingly said in the past, if we had a pastor's conference that 200 people came to, you became post-millennial. You know, you <laughs> thought, I mean, this is the glorious come. Uh, and, you know, so this is before Desiring God, Ligonier's just barely getting started. You know, so, I mean, these are the All right. the early days in where you're saying that, hey, part of our identity is the proclamation of the sovereign grace of God and the salvation of sinners and the glory of God in the gathered church. And right. you're trying to get people to be gripped by this vision of the glory of God in the church and that you gather for God. This isn't about you. This isn't about your felt needs. This is about going to the Bible, finding what the Bible says a church is, finding out how God wants to be worshipped, and, you know, an unapologetic, clear declaration of truth without the fear of man, all this stuff that you're trying to... And, you know, it's not like, hey, we that's exactly what we want. You know, it was so countercultural to everything that was going on. And so to get, you know, you might have somebody visit once, you know, so they had a story to tell people about these wackos that they met. <laughs> the cult that met yeah, down the right, road. Right, right. Yeah. But they, you know, but, you know, as far as people being excited, you know, we had a few people. So apart from my wife, we had 10 people, uh, myself and my wife, we had 10 people that were, you know, uh, committed. I spent a year and a half here. At the end of that time, we had 10 people that were committed to that. Now, Still after a year yeah, and a half. And now... We began to have a few folks then that started to on the periphery, but then once we constituted, once I and another man were ordained, okay. I think some people saw, okay, now they're stable. I think they're going to be here. It's not just you know fly by night. And then others began to come and slowly by word of mouth and other things, people started to get converted. Uh, other people started to have their lives radically changed as they uh, experienced biblical truth and. Uh, were confronted by you know by the word as it was preached week by week. So that's interest. That's an interesting challenge. I bet other planners listening to this can relate to. And that's the you know when I go into revitalization, I had two things you didn't. Is one I had this big beautiful building and an amazing sanctuary to preach in right. from day one. And two, I had people. I mean, I had people who like for better or worse were not going anywhere. Right. So right. you come in and even two years in. There's a dozen of you. 
and right. and you're and that's something that should not be ever assumed in a plan. And I life. will say, Brian, I came in with no real expectation that would ever really be much different. Hmm. And I anticipated I probably would be bivocational for decades, hmm. and that I would I was determined I would just preach faithfully to if it was a dozen or two dozen people, you know. But then we went through a period of growth, and the church we that initial number a dozen that we that we constituted with a year later was 24 a year later was 36 a year later was interest 48 it was like the lord added 12 more people uh every year huh. uh until we reached you know over 100 folks that were uh committed to the church in that way i also want to point out that just the historical significance of when you came to plan in louisville you not only have moderate uh uh, theology, even just liberal theology, dominating the churches here. But you also have what was starting to be the pinnacle of the church growth movement. Exactly. And that. So when you're talking about people doing something radically different around that, you had a ton of things working against you as you came. Yeah. While well, we were being told, I mean, bombarded with, this is how you market a church. This is how you do church. Right. These are people's felt needs. This, you go in and you talk to unconverted people and you find out you know what will get them to go to church. So that was all that pressure. Yeah. There was the big carnal Christian lordship debate issue going on between John MacArthur and yeah. Charles Ryrie and some of the... There was a lot of that kind of stuff that was going hmm. on uh, at that time. And then, if, then you got into the... Um, Oh, what's the next the the Kevin DeYoung book on uh, uh on mission the, of the church? No, no, no the uh, why we are not emerging. Why we're, you know, the, the emergent church? Yeah. So right. you had the emergent. It's already gone. You know, here it is. Write a book about it. It's, it's already, already essentially gone. Essentially gone. But yeah. you know, so I lived through all kinds of fads. I mean, there was the you know uh, promise keepers fad. There was the purpose driven life. There's the prayer of Jabez, and always, hey, are you, is your church going? Hey, would you like to come and be a part of? And to say, you know what, we're just going to keep our nose to the grindstone. Yep, going to preach the next text. We're going to believe that God is honored in consecutive expository preaching, God-centered worship, and a group of people committed to love each other uh, and live holy lives, loving each other, living holy lives, being committed to corporate prayer, corporate worship. And believe God would build a church through those very, very simple means. So, Jim, let, as we wrap this up, let's let's address this. Somebody's listening to this. There's a call of a pastor that we would argue for. Both of these churches, a plant or a vitalization, one sh- should hopefully look similar to each other 10 years down the road or 20 years down the right. road. There is the same calling of a pastor for both churches. However, we would I think we've acknowledged there's a unique calling in some ways on whether someone should start a church or be a part of a church plant or someone should go into revitalization. How would you advise either a, a man trying to sort through his calling in regard to this? I get this a lot. And, and how would you um, encourage somebody who's trying to think through they're in a plant right now and they're trying to figure out if that's their the, that fits their calling? How would you just Yeah, I think, Brian, them? probably the biggest thing I would say is seek the counsel of men who have done it and seek the evaluation of a church of what your gifts are. I mean, some guys, honestly, they just have delusions of grandeur. And they, you know, there are men who think to themselves, the big thing the church of Jesus Christ has been missing for 2,000 years is me. Mm-hmm. And that once I get in there, and if they just hear my preaching, it's amazing what's going to happen. Well, those men are rare. They're few and far between. Right. What you're calling yourself to is, a, is, is this, I die daily. And so whether you're planting or, or 
um, or doing a revitalization. You, you're going to have to give yourself to that, and you're going to have to give yourself to say, I need, I'm going to labor in obscurity, and, I, and I'm going to need to do that, and I need to commit myself. I need to give myself this time. But I think sometimes we need the evaluation of, of other men in our lives because some people are so impatient. They're a bull in a china shop. And if they went into a church revitalization program and they think they're being faithful, but really they're just sometimes maybe being arrogant and they're being stupid mm-hmm. and they're not recognizing that you, you can't grab that guy and have him run a marathon by your side. He's never walked 100 yards spiritually in his life. Yeah, that's right. And he's never heard these terms that you've now heard and you've been bathed in and that you're excited about and your seminary buddies are excited about. Right. And you might need somebody to come along and say, hey, bub, you're not ready for this, and you you need to sit down, settle down, and grow as a man. Or, you, hey, are you ready? I mean, you say you're ready. Are you ready to get in the ring and take these licks and uh-huh. not despise the church, not despise God's people, and not hate God? Yeah. Because God didn't bless everything on your timetable. Yeah. Uh, so you need, I think, patience perseverance which we talked about but i think you also need to have some kind of evaluation a older pastor who has seen you heard you interacted with you and i think there are men and personalities that are well shaped uh to doing what you're doing what you did and i I met you early on i can't remember it was early what year year it was it was right in the thick of it it was right in the thick of it and i and and honestly i think i've told you this there are times I, i i was as i prayed for you I thought, I don't know if he's going to make it. I mean, I, I was just, I was concerned for you. I thought, oh, this guy may be selling cars in a couple of months. Yeah. Yep. Because it was just so discouraging sometimes to hear, because you were going through that. Now, again, because I was in a church plant, people came that were that were attracted, or that wanted that. Yes. And so generally people either wanted what I was giving, they, they wanted this view of God, they wanted this view of the church, or they had become convinced of it. Or they were getting converted, and this was their first church experience. When if they didn't want it, they left. They left. Right. They weren't my deacons, right? Or exactly. they weren't a leader in the church. Exactly. What I had because to do with. yeah, right. in our in our context, you, you know, we had a fundamental uh, point of unity, right. That you agreed upon to join, and so that that was a difference uh, between what I had and you. I may have had small. And occasionally discouraging, and no, nobody likes us. You know, uh, nobody wants to be a part of us. People visit once, and we're crazy, yeah. and they go. Uh, you had to deal with that. Well, hey, you got married into the family. This is your family, yeah. and, and I had crazy uncles and everything. Right, to do it. The final word I would give is that I think the place to start one is just to realize this is you're, you're be called as a pastor, and Jim's word is good. Let, that some others affirm that call. Even a church to affirm that call in you as an external call. But as far as I would point you to your motives, what I find a lot of guys choose to plant or revitalize based on not wanting to deal with the other. So you do, you're not called to church planning if you don't feel called to minister to old people, uh, because that that's that's a that's not about your calling. It's about your immaturity. If you don't want to minister, yeah, you're to old probably people. not really a pastor. So right? you're probably not, so make note of that. And on the flip side. You're not called to go into an established church because you feel a special call to minister to, to middle-class white people who will pay you a good salary. Like Those aren't good motives to make these decisions. Right. So I would, I would point you to your motives, and you want to feel a call from God that you are drawn to do this work. And the nuances of that, I think, is another podcast for another time. So 
Jim, would you uh, would you pray for those who are um, trying to sort through either a calling in one of these two areas, or that maybe this conversation would brought some clarity for some of these? Yeah, or discouraged it. in the yeah, midst of it. That's so, right. Yeah, let's... Will you pray? Father, we do thank you that there are are men that you call and that are burdened to go into uh, a situation that may be dying and to strengthen the things that remain and to strive patiently and lovingly to guide a congregation back to health. Father, we thank you for such men. Thank you for men like Brian uh, who have done that. And, and Father, we thank you for the the courage and convictions of other men to go into an area and to evangelize or to find um, a hungry sheep father that may not yet be attached to another congregation and to strive uh, precept upon precept, line upon line to build a work for your honor and glory. And father, ultimately we pray for men whose eyes have seen the King and who have uh, a great desire that he would be honored and glorified in the work to which you've called them. We pray, Father, for men who may be discouraged to both either are both in the, the situation of planting or in revitalization. Uh, they've reached uh, a point perhaps of stagnation or of resistance. And Lord, where it is righteous and where it is good and right, we pray, Lord, that you might give them the ability uh, to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thank you, Father, that nothing we do for you is ultimately in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.